Hello, welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge. I'm Mary Hedex. I'm Jenna Goldsobel. So Jenna, I invited you to co-host today with me because we're tackling an issue that I wanted to do for a while because it touches everybody, and that's housing. It's one of these things that everyone needs. It's a basic need, and it might not be the most popular political cause, but we have an opportunity this year to make some big changes. We do. We are in a very important time where we have the opportunity to pass these nine very strong rent laws and tenant protections, Mm -hmm. which make up something called universal rent control. Uh, Housing Justice for All, the Upstate Downstate Coalition, they're the ones that put these bills together. And it would ensure stronger tenant protections for folks, not just within New York City, but all throughout New York State. Mm -hmm. And the rent laws are expiring June 15th. So we have 46 days, but by the time that this airs, we'll It'll be down all- to 40, <laughs> <Yep>. 39. <laughs> so we have, we have a short time to act, but that's why I'm really happy that, this, that you're doing this podcast. It's a big movement. You just named two huge coalition groups that have been working on this for a long time. This is the kind of issue that is constantly bubbling away in the background. And then when something like these rent laws comes up, it becomes such a huge thing. Everybody really needs to jump in and get on board really fast because we have such a great opportunity now to make a difference. Right. I've invited you to co-host today because you're, you've are you been all over Bay Ridge doing Know Your Rights trainings, teach-ins, organizing tenants. And could you tell us briefly about the tenant organizing you do with the Fifth Avenue Committee? Sure. So my role at Fifth Avenue Committee is a stabilizing tenant organizer, meaning that I specifically organize with rent-stabilized tenants and apartments. And the goal of tenant organizing is, first and foremost, meet people where they're at, knock on their doors, make sure that folks first know their rights as a rent-stabilized tenant. Second, to make sure that they know that they have resources, that they're out there, free resources for them. This is one of those things that reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. it's housing. 100%. It's right there at the bottom yep. of the pyramid. Yep, right. 110%. I mean, you can't really do much else without safe, secure housing. Um, so that's why this movement is huge and critical, especially right now. What I do through tenant organizing is uh, meeting people where they're at, making sure that they know their rights with the ultimate goal of tenants coming together, meeting each other within their buildings to create a tenant association. Because the more tenants within a building, the more powerful the tenant movement is. That's the ultimate goal. And so I'm so glad that you could come here today and help me like unpack some of the details of these laws. How exactly do they work? How exactly will they affect Bay Ridge? Um, how will they impact the tenants and the people that you've been talking to? I've been reading up on them, but you know, it's a lot to take in. So I knew I wanted to talk to Andrea Shapiro from the Met Council on Housing. The Met Council on Housing is a citywide uh, tenant advocacy group. Andrea has been doing this. She's been fighting for these laws for a long time. And so I knew she was somebody that I definitely wanted to talk to today. And I think we should, uh, Go into our interview with Andrea Shapiro. Let's do it. Andrea, welcome to our studio. Thank you for coming today. Thank you. Could you tell me your position at the Met Council on Housing? Sure. I'm the program manager. What kind of work do you do there? We do a combination of anti-displacement services. So we run a hotline three days a week that any tenant can call. 
and speak with a fellow tenant about learning their tenants' rights. Mm-hmm. We also run two housing clinics, one in Inwood and one in the East Village. And then we work on campaigns. So the rent laws are a key campaign for us, which I work on. And then we also work against the rezoning in Northern Manhattan. So it sounds like you do both those day-to-day services that people always need all the time, as well as, what's the word I'm looking for? Not temporary, but... Long-term? Systemic is what Systemic. we call it. Mm. Oh, okay. So the Met Council, we believe in mutual aid, people changing not just for themselves, but changing the policies. Mm-hmm. So our hotline and clinic are run by tenants. They're run by volunteers. I sort of make sure the phones and computers work and help with difficult questions. But the work's done by tenants sharing information with each other. And part of that is also explaining that these laws are created by landlords and elected officials and meant to harm tenants. Mm-hmm. Our clinic, for example, is done in a round table. And that's so people can hear each other's questions because most times... The people who are there, they all have a very similar question and they're all being hurt by the same bad laws. Does the Met Council on Housing cover state and city? Yes. Met Council, like a lot of the tenant groups, is a citywide organization. And I can say that we've answered questions in every single city council district this year. Wow. Um, so we really get out there. Most tenant groups are neighborhood based. And so we're a little different model. But because the rent laws are done at the state level, because of the Erstat law, we work at the state level. In mm-hmm. that. What's the Erstat's law? So Erstat is why New York City doesn't have home rule around rent stabilization and rent control. In the 1970s, home rule was taken away from New York. Where did this all begin? Did it begin with the Erstat's rule? So it actually goes back to World War II. Oh, wow. That's a um, little bit further. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit further back a little bit than further I thought back. we were going. Um, so... New York City has had rent control since World War II hmm. as part of price control measures. And New York City has been in a housing emergency at least since then, if not before. And for a housing emergency, we mean there's a vacancy level of less than 5%. Hmm. For a long time, we had rent control, which is an older system of controlling the prices in rent. And then in 1970, we lost that. And then 1974, We got rent stabilization because we were still in the same housing crisis. Is there a difference between rent control and rent stabilization? Yes. So rent control tenants first, they've been living continuously in their apartment since 1971, or they've inherited their apartment through succession rights. They also don't have leases, and their buildings are some before 1947. Their rent actually goes up by a higher percentage than rent stabilization, it's one of those myths out there that there's all these people with $25 rents. If they do, that means they haven't had a single repair since like the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Rent control tenants actually have much higher rents, as high as market rate tenants in many places, and are usually seniors. And what exactly are we talking about with rent stabilization? So rent stabilization, under the state level, it's the Emergency Tenant Protection Act is what's officially called. It originally applied very simply to buildings that are six units or more built since 1974. Since the 1990s, we've added in decontrol. So departments have been leaving the system when they reach a rent of $2,773, I believe. And so it's a very blanket system, which is what Mm -hmm. makes it sort of amazing is it costs taxpayers nothing. It's a very simple system to enforce because it fits into a category of building and protects a very wide range of New Yorkers Mm -hmm. and really allows New York to be the mixed income city that it is and has been for a long time. And has prevented sort of hyperinflation of rents in a lot of neighborhoods. Well, it sounds like rent stabilization is better than rent control. Why is it the fight for universal rent control, not 
rent stabilization. There are some good things and bad things about both programs. For rent control tenants, the way their rents are increases are very different than the way rent stabilized tenants are. And so there are important things about the rent control system we want to hold on to for those tenants. And one of our bills is to reform the rent control system mm-hmm. to put the rent increases more in line with rent stabilization. When I first uh, started following this, I think there were seven laws that were in consideration. I think now there's uh, two more that have been introduced. We're up to like nine mm-hmm. laws. Is it that they collectively are, are what you're referring to as universal rent control? Yes. And so the universal rent control call is a little bit of rhetoric. There is actually no universal rent control bill, which we understand is a little confusing. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by universal rent control is that every tenant in New York would be have some sort of protection. So the nine bills that are part of our platform are sort of we're collectively calling universal rent control. Any one of them helps a small group of tenants. Together, they protect the vast majority of tenants throughout the state. Jenna, do you have any insight into which laws might be the most relevant to our listeners in Bay Ridge? I think all of the bills are really important. Everyone is going to be positively affected by universal rent control and every single one of those nine bills have passed. I've doorknocked a few buildings here in Bay Ridge so far in my role as tenant organizer. And a lot of these tenants look at their leases and they're being overcharged by their landlords. And a lot of it is because either they have preferential rent or because they have MCIs, which is major capital improvements, which is a permanent increase on their rent due to the landlord installing something building wide or an individual apartment improvement which is if they, quote unquote, improve something within their apartment, then that's also a permanent increase in their rent. So a lot of people are affected by these, but not everyone knows how to check their rent history, how to make sure that they're being charged legally. So far, that's what I've seen in Bayridge. And for people keeping square at home, we've just talked about the individual apartment increase that is Senate Bill 3770, the major capital improvements to abolish increases to your rent when your landlord does an improvement to the building. That is Senate 3693, Assembly 4401. And Bay Ridge has the second highest amount of unregulated apartments in the state, Hmm. 41,000 units. So it's a lot of tenants who have absolutely no protection. Hmm. If you don't have a lease, which a lot of market rate tenants don't have, particularly if you rent from a smaller building or you've been there for a long time, you just simply don't get a lease renewal sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can be evicted in 30 days, essentially. And so having good cause simply means that tenants have the ability to have a stable community, to make sure that Bay Ridge stays as the stable place where you know your neighbor. Good cause eviction would protect nearly 5 million tenants in New York State. That would be universal. That would be every renter or every renter in a building of more than six units or. So good cause eviction would apply to every tenant except for owner occupied buildings in three units or less. So if you had a building with three units and the owner lived in one of them, Mm. that's the only time it wouldn't apply. So it would apply everywhere from a single family house to thousand, two thousand unit complex. Hmm. So good cause eviction simply means that a landlord needs a reason not to renew your lease. Right now, market rate tenants, the landlord doesn't have to give any reason whatsoever. Hmm. Good cause simply says landlords could evict a tenant. Mm-hmm. If a tenant's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, not paying the rent, not living up to their end of the bargain, tenants can still be evicted. It also says the landlord can't do an unconscionable rent increase. 
Hmm. And what that is, it's 1.5 of the consumer price index for any given locale, which is the price of inflation. So right now in New York City, if we had good cause, the rent increase limit would be 3.3%. But if a landlord could prove that they needed to do repairs, they just weren't making the mortgage payments, they could actually get a higher rent increase. They just will need to prove it if it's over the consumer price index limit. Good cause eviction, Senate 2892, Assembly 5030. We're halfway through. <laughs> and preferential rent. Did we explain preferential rent or should we go into that? We can go into it because it's a little bit confusing for a lot of people. Right. Just its name. It's a, yeah. It's your landlord doing something nice for you is what it sounds like. You're getting mm-hmm. a lower charge than you could otherwise pay. And that's why it's attractive to a lot of tenants going in. So what preferential rent means is you're simply paying the rent the market can bear in that neighborhood, but there's a higher legal rent out there that you could be paying. Mm -hmm. And at any given lease cycle, your landlord can raise your rent to that legal rent. And what we know from the state itself is the majority of preferential rents are hiding overcharges. They're hiding the Mm -hmm. fact that the landlord Mm -hmm. has put an illegally high rent on your lease because of this thing called the four-year look-back window. They're waiting five or six years so that you're not able to claim an overcharge when they do raise it to the legal rent. Say there's an apartment where the legal rent is 3000 but the landlord offers you 2000 mm-hmm. a month for four years, and then one day he sends you a letter that your rent's increasing to 4000 or something obscenely yeah. high relative to what you've been paying. That's exactly how it works. And so it's particularly in gentrifying neighborhoods and neighborhoods which have had lower rents traditionally. Mm-hmm. It's something we see where landlords have been all using all the mechanisms to raise the rent, waiting for that day when they can then push out the tenant. And the way that they advertise it is obviously very misleading because you'll see an ad for a beautiful apartment 20% below market rate. Mm. But then, you know, later on... How is market rate determined? So market rate is probably not the best term. It's the maximum rent that somebody could Mm. charge or the Mm -hmm. legal rent as often as it's referred to. It's determined based on how many legal rent increases the landlord's taken. First, they get the rent guidelines board increases. And so that's a yearly board that determines the rent increase for one or two year leases. Mm -hmm. Then every time they get a tenant out, they get something called the eviction bonus or the vacancy bonus which is 20% added on simply for kicking someone out of their apartment. And then as Jenna talked about, there's MCI charges, major capital improvements, and individual apartment increases. And so those are sort of all the mechanisms that legally they can take to raise the rent. So vacancy bonus, that's where they would charge the next tenant 20% more than the previous tenant. And that would be repealed by Senate 185 and Assembly Bill A2351. So Andrea, what tactics do you typically see from landlords who are trying to push folks out in order to get that vacancy bonus? Sure. So we see a wider range of harassment. Anything from landlords knocking on doors in the middle of the night, not doing repairs, encouraging vermin in buildings to more vicious things. There's a long tradition of hiring thugs or hiring people off the street to roam around their buildings, to target certain tenants, landlords bringing tenants to housing court without any real reasons. Mm. So the landlord will not cash the tenant's rent check for a while. 
hoping the tenant will spend the money and won't have it when they're brought to housing court. Mm-hmm. Or they won't allow a child to take over a parent's apartment using succession rights. Or they'll just take a tenant to housing court and claim that they didn't pay their rent, even though they have mm-hmm. been paying their rent. Hmm. All those things are just hoping that one day the tenant will just either give up and be like, this apartment isn't worth it. Or the tenant will screw up and not see the housing court notice, not realize that the rent hasn't been cashed and use that money for other things. And what percentage of tenants do you think actually call the hotline to find out more about their rights? So we talked about 4,000 tenants a year. Over half of them are rent-stabilized or Mm rent-controlled. But there's a million rent-stabilized apartments out there. At one point, it was half the market in New York. It's now about 45% of people who live in a rent-stabilized apartment. So it's a huge amount of the city that is protected under these laws that expire in June. And for tenants who may not know that they are being charged extra for MCIs or IAIs, how would they find that information. So tenant getting their rent history is the best way to find out what they're actually supposed to be paying. Mm -hmm. And how do you get your rent history? So the number for people to get their rent history is 718-739-6400. And it comes in a pretty plain envelope and your landlord won't know that you received it. And it also shows you the history of the rent within that apartment since 1984. But When filing a case in housing court, for example, because you may think that you're being overcharged, they only go back four years. Mm. So if there was an illegal increase before then, it's very difficult. And so one of the bills we're trying to push this year is changing that rule. Generally, contracts have a six-year look-back window. So that would also apply to leases because leases are fundamentally just a contract. Mm -hmm. And then it would also put into law a lot of the exceptions to that look back window. So it would say that if you have an unreliable rent history, you can look back further. What do you mean by the rent history being unreliable? The rent history is self-reported by landlords. Mm -hmm. There's no fees or fines if a landlord lies on it, except for when a tenant catches them. Mm. So there's lots of irregularities to them. And then landlords scheme in order to figure out this four-year window and overcharge a tenant. I would say the vast majority of rent histories that I see at our housing clinic have an irregularity to them, but it's too far in the past for anything to be done about it. Maybe you noticed three years ago the rent increased drastically. That's the kind of thing that you would want to take action on? Yep. Also, round numbers in a rent history are a flag. Mm -hmm. Because the rent goes up by percentages, Hmm. you have to get lucky to hit a round number in a Mm. rent history. Most people with rent-stabilized rents pay, you know, 2,563 cents or something like that. It's eye-opening and getting your rent history is so important. So that's why everybody at home, (laughs) please request your rent history from that phone number that Andrea gave. And Andrea, what would you do if somebody in one of your clinics noticed an irregularity like that? What's the next step? So you're able to file with the state for a rent overcharge, or you're able to file in Supreme Court. What are some of the outcomes that you've noticed? If you win, you get three times the damages. Oh, wow. Which is a good incentive to fight. And one of the big things is that often we're able to get an apartment re-regulated. Hmm. That most people don't realize they've been overcharged until their apartments come out of deregulation. Vacancy decontrol, that's State Bill 2591, Assembly 1198. I understand that it's to repeal decontrol. 
the deregulation bill would re-regulate any apartment in New York City that's current rent is under $5,000 and for the suburbs, $3,500. We've lost about a quarter of a million apartments to deregulation in probably the last 10 years, I believe. And so those apartments at least would, you'd hope it would be re-regulated. When would these bills take effect? Generally, they'd probably start July 1st, though the exact date is very much up in there. It has to do with when the bills are signed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the Emergency Tenant Protection Act expires every few years. The last time was in 2015. Anyone listening should not panic that they heard their word expire. Even in the dark days of 1997, the law was renewed and people remained rent stabilized who Mm -hmm. had a current lease. So this is our time when we can make changes. For a long time, they were hurt. There were loopholes put into laws. Back in 1997, there's a time we call the rent wars in New York, Mm. where Governor Pataki and Joe Bruno tried to systematically destroy the rent laws. And they put in all the loopholes that we're talking about today. They put in preference or rent and the vacancy bonus and deregulation. Since the mid-2000s, we've been sort of keeping basically the same rent laws, getting them renewed as is. But we know that that won't last. These laws were designed to destroy rent stabilization, and that's what they're doing. So if we continue to renew the laws as is, we are going to lose rent stabilization and lose New York in the way that we know it. Landlords have not just hurt tenants, but hurt New York City. Mm. And been able to get away with it, been encouraged even Mm -hmm. by the way our laws are written. What we simply want to do is rebalancing the scales. That New York City's housing emergency means that it's always a landlord's market. What does it mean that we're in a housing crisis? So New York City's housing crisis means that under a triannual survey that happens, it's called the housing vacancy survey, that we have less than 5% vacancy. That means at any given moment, less than 5% of the apartments in New York are available for rent. Right now, it's around 3.6%, which is actually one of the highest it's been since the 70s, since this process started. But it means that the free markets fundamentally can't work, that landlords fundamentally have more power because there aren't the number of open apartments for people to rent. There's no shift in supply and demand. You can't find that happy medium that's fair for lots of people and also fair to the landlords if there just isn't enough housing. Um, I've heard tropes about how these bills will hurt smaller landlords rather than landlords that own 10 or more buildings. Can you speak on that? Sure. So what we know about small landlords, and we're talking about actual small landlords, somebody who owns mm-hmm. one or two buildings. According to Just Fix NYC, the average landlord in New York owns 40 buildings. Oh, wow. That's not Mm -hmm. a small landlord. Mm -hmm. Blackstone, the hedge fund, is the largest landlord in the United States and the largest owner of single-unit buildings. Hmm. Most people's buildings are owned by hedge funds. They're owned by multinational corporations. There are people who own three buildings in Bay Ridge, four buildings in the Bronx, five buildings in Queens. (laughs) The actual small landlords are really generally better than the larger landlords. They tend not to raise the rent at the same level. They keep tenants in their buildings longer and they do repairs. And this is because they see the value of having someone who reliably paying their rent over time. They know that when a tenant's invested in their apartment, when they're there for 
five, 10 years, they care for their apartment. Mm-hmm. A lot of tenants we talk to have renovated inside their apartments, have fixed the kitchen, changed the way the bathroom looks, renovated it like it's an apartment that they own and they care for because they're investing long term. Mm. Small landlords see this and know this and value that in a tenant. Mm. Will any of these laws that we're talking about today provide any relief for small landlords like that? So this simply gives small landlords the same playing field as a large landlord Mm. because they're all required to do what's right. You know, small landlords, for the most part, are already doing this. And so it's time for big landlords to have to get in line and do what's right. There's this myth of the 1970s out there in New York City (laughs) that, you know, it's all going to fall apart. Right. Right. We stopped paying our firefighters and therefore the Bronx was allowed to burn. It wasn't because of the rent stabilization code. Mm. Landlords keep throwing this out there. Oh, it's going to become like NYCHA. NYCHA has been systematically disinvested from. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the same. Landlords are paying for these buildings, they're investing in these buildings. They still have the full ability to get their investment back, to increase their investment, as we've been seeing landlords flipping buildings for millions of dollars. That's not going to change. This simply just gives tenants the ability to make a complaint, to actually say, hey, I need a working bathroom. I shouldn't be cooking off a hot plate for six months. Mm And recently, what I've seen through door knocking in South Brooklyn, smaller landlords where they own one or two buildings being taken over by larger landlords who own, like Andrea said, like 40 plus buildings. And typically, these larger landlords purchase buildings where most units are rent stabilized. And that's a red flag because if you're rent stabilized as a landlord, you're only going to be making so much money. And so the end game is essentially to make as much money as you can. And so that's when a lot of the harassment comes in. You know, if you have a tenant who's been there 20 plus years, they want either you out or they're going to find some other way to make more money off of you. And especially firsthand experience, door knocking, even here in Bay Ridge, you see it. And they buy these buildings knowing that they can't make their mortgage payments based on the rent rolls. Mm -hmm. They knew this in advance of how much debt to rent ratio they had and then planned on using all these tools to hurt tenants. And so harassing them or not doing repairs and just like Mm -hmm. hounding somebody until they leave Mm -hmm. so they can take advantage of that 20% vacancy bonus, they'll just do that over and over again until the rent's high enough for them to make a profit. And it's really baked into their business model. And so in the East Village, we saw several landlords go to jail We know Trump, this is one of his main business tactics as Mm -hmm. a landlord in New York. Jared Kushner, also Mm -hmm. in East Village. We see these horrible things that happen to tenants in their building who've been living there 20, 30 years. They've raised their family there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's pretty difficult to find out who actually owns the building that you're in. But there's this really great website that was released recently. It's called whoownswhat.justfix.nyc. And you type in your address and it'll tell you a lot of information. So you can see what open violations there are in your building, the complaint history. You could see if the complaints have actually been fixed. Go look at the taxes. Um, But sometimes these landlords don't register as themselves. They'll use an LLC. And it's very difficult to find out who the LLC actually is and who's behind it. Some of these smaller landlords, they could be owning more buildings than what it says, 
but they just use different LLCs. Um, so mm-hmm. it doesn't look like that they're that large of a landlord. And sounds like you're speaking from experience. We've talked a lot about the East Village, the Bronx. This is happening in Brooklyn, too. Yes, it's happening in Brooklyn. All of my work is based in Brooklyn with Fifth Avenue Committee. I'm a tenant organizer. And so a lot of the job is doing research. And I kind of feel like a detective. It's real great. It's a lot of looking at memos put out by investment companies who are targeting these small landlords and these buildings that have been owned by the same family for years. You see how much they are willing to pay for this building that's rent stabilized and you just know what's going to happen. So it's all about preventing it. You know, it's almost too late by the time that you get there because either these buildings have been torn down or completely renovated and most of the tenants have been bought out and so they're no longer there. And so you see this moving further and further south And that's why I'm focusing a lot on Bay Ridge right now, because I want to be able to help folks realize their rights before it's too late. Mm. Through door knocking here, I see a lot of different harassment tactics by these bigger landlords that have recently moved into Bay Ridge. I go into buildings and I see lead paint chipping. I see that the lobby probably hasn't been cleaned in years. The last time the inside was painted was years ago. I talk to tenants who say that they end up making their own repairs because they can't rely on the landlord or the super because they never follow through. Or if they do follow through, they use subpar materials. You hear all of these things, but yes, it's definitely happening in Brooklyn and definitely in Bay Ridge. Housing, it's a racial justice issue. Mm -hmm. The people who are most marginalized in society live in the worst housing. The majority of unstabilized housing are women-headed households, where the woman is the main provider in the family. And it's not a mistake that you have women here talking about housing. (laughs) You know, the Met Council is founded by women and currently run by women. The majority of our volunteers are women. And at any given tenant meeting, sure, this is the same at Fifth Avenue Committee, Mm -hmm. the majority of people there are women. And it's the thing that we talk about at the kitchen table. It's the thing we talk about with our friends. It's the thing we talk about as we're trying to figure out daycare and childcare and schools. Those are all parts of what housing you're in. And just meeting with other tenant groups, 85% are women organizers. Hmm. And all of the tenant associations that I work with, these current rent laws and all of the loopholes, it really affects children as well growing up because you want to be able to have a home, you want to be able to pass it down to your children. One in 10 public school kids experience homelessness. Mm -hmm. That's a huge amount of students who have experienced housing insecurity, who don't know necessarily where they're sleeping that night or are sleeping on a friend's couch. We have 100,000 people who are homeless statewide. That's a huge amount of people who don't have a place to stay, who can't invest in their community, who instead of paying attention to their job, are paying attention to where they're sleeping that night. Mm -hmm. Housing is a basic need. It's a right. If you don't have secure housing, and if you're dealing with leaks from your ceiling, if you're dealing with rodents, if you're dealing with peeling lead paint, Mm -hmm. that is the only thing that you are thinking about because it affects you physically and mentally. It's a huge human rights issue that Mm -hmm. needs to be addressed Seriously. Yeah, it's so much mental and emotional energy that could be going into your work or your family. Or- and working with tenants, 
when they request their rent history and we go through it together and they see that irregularities, they want to fight it, but they can't because they're at work most of the day and housing court close at five. Yeah. And so you have to take time off. If you want to advocate for repairs to be done in your apartment, you make a complaint and then you have to wait for the super. Maybe they'll give you a time frame of a few days. Maybe they won't. But that means that you have to stay home from work. If you call 311 and make a complaint, then an inspector will come and check it out. But the thing is, the inspector, again, they give you a time frame. And so you have to stay home from work again. And so then you have the risk of being laid off by your job because of having to miss work because you want a livable and safe home. And so it's very, very difficult to have that energy and that time. It's essentially almost a privilege to be able to have that time and energy in order to fight for your rights. And so this year, we need to make big changes when the rent laws sunset on June 15th. We're hoping actually to get them passed early this year for a a first time ever, possibly, which is going to be a very hard fight. We know that we're up against very big interests. Rebney, the Real Estate Board of New York, and RSA, the Rent Stabilization Association. And they're fighting back hard. Not only have they been releasing ads about these so-called small landlords, they've also given huge amounts to elected officials. Mm. But this is a new day in New York. This is the first time we've had a Democratic State Senate in 40 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that it coincides with the rent law year is not an accident for us. Mm. We've been fighting for this for a really Mm -hmm. long time in Bay Ridge. Notice that they've seen tenants out in front of Marty's office and been part of those rallies for (laughs) a long time. Now that we have Democrats, we need to expand. Mm -hmm. We need to re-regulate apartments. We need to provide just the basic protections. Right now they're being called socialist and radical, but all we're actually providing is consumer protections Mm -hmm. for people to be able to stay in an apartment. We're not up to our radical goals even close. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's an exciting fight. Bay Ridge, it's second in the state for market rate units. 41,000 tenants would receive some sort of protection just to be able to stay in their apartment if good cause passes. Is there a lot of support for passing them as a slate? Or do you think each individual one is going to be a knockdown drag out fight? So we're hoping that they'd be passed as part of an omnibus package together. And that's simply to make sure that they all get through. Yeah. If they're put separately, they can be picked apart. It's unacceptable to the tenant movement to leave out a single tenant if we can. Mm. So back in September and October, we started to have people running for office and elected officials sign a universal rent control pledge. All of our nine bills were part of that pledge, as well as ending homelessness in New York State to increase the home stability support money which unfortunately did not make it through the budget process. Mm. I think it's really important that everybody contact their local officials because there are some electeds that support a few of the bills, some that haven't really come out in support of any. And also it'd be interesting to check their campaign finance records and see if they've accepted any money from landlords or real estate, because that could definitely play a role in signing on or even supporting any of these bills. And for Bay Ridge local elected officials, we know that Matilda Frontis and Andrew Gennardis signed a pledge with us in October before the election saying that they'd support these, this platform. And that was including all nine of the bills? All nine of the bills. 
Ms. Hilda Frentis has signed on to eight. She still needs to sign on to the Emergency Tenant Protection Act expansion, which is a relatively new bill. For Andrew Gennardis, he is on five of our bills. He is missing from ending individual apartment increases, eliminating major capital improvements, ending the vacancy bonus or eviction bonus, and reforming preferential rent. Hmm. That's half the bills. That's when he signed the pledge. Right. And so we're expecting that when elected officials sign our pledge that they live up to that. And they really are not not just to sign on to our bills, but champion our bills. Mm. That he stood in front of a room of 60 plus tenants in Bay Ridge saying he supported this, saying he was going to fight for it. And now we actually expect to see him. For people listening at home or on their commutes or wherever you guys listen to your podcast, what's the next steps for our listeners? Calling Andrew Gennardis and letting him know we expect him to sign on to our full platform. And then we're headed up to Albany because that's where the elected officials are. Mm. And so we've been going up nearly every Tuesday. We call it Tenant Tuesday. It's a hashtag. Look it up. Yeah. (laughs) It's on Twitter. We've been putting out (laughs) stories. But also it means that we've actually been going up to Albany nearly every Tuesday and talking with elected officials. And so May 14th is our big all out day in Albany. We're giving the state a 30 day notice the same way landlords can give us a 30 day notice. Mm. And there are going to be buses leaving from all over the city. People can contact the Met Council on Housing or Fifth Avenue Committee if they'd like to get on the bus to Albany. And something else that we're doing on our end is if you want to learn more about the rent laws and the nine bills, we are hosting a rent laws workshop in Brooklyn with a few of the Brooklyn housing groups. And it's going to be held on May 6th at 6.30 p.m. at St. Nick's Alliance. So definitely come through if you have any questions about the bills. We are also trying to knock as many doors as humanly possible all throughout the city and the state for Fifth Avenue Committee in Brooklyn. And so if you are interested in helping out or flyering, even just giving folks information about the upcoming rent laws fight, look at Fifth Avenue Committee on Facebook, Twitter, and you'll be able to find some events to get involved in. So the Met Council on Tenants hotline runs Monday, Wednesday, 1.30 to 8 p.m. and Friday, 1.30 to 5 p.m. And the number is 212-979-0611. That's 212-979-0611. What would someone call the hotline for? Any tenant's rights question. Whether you're concerned about your lease, you need help getting a repair. We're able to also handle any type of housing. So whether your market rate rent stabilized, you have a voucher, you're in a senior home, Mitchell-Lama, we can handle it all. Andrea, what is your ultimate goal for New York tenants? We believe that housing should be part of the public domain, that it's a human right. Mm. We have very lofty goals, and we're really excited that this year we can make a real change for tenants and really give people the power to fight back against the horrible living conditions that a lot of people in New York City and New York State live in. Mm. It used to be unheard of for rent in Rochester or Buffalo to be $1,000, $2,000. Now they have basically the same rents in those cities as we have in Brooklyn. And do you think we could do it? I think if we all fight, we are definitely able to. If you want to fight but you don't know how, please contact Met Council on Housing, Fifth Avenue Committee. Please get involved somehow, even just picking up your phone or going on Twitter and asking your elected officials to sign on to the bills. 
Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. And Andrea, thank you for coming in and telling us about all of these laws to look forward to and to follow up on with our electeds. It's Bay Ridge, it's Brooklyn, it's New York City, it's all of the state. It's housing. It touches everyone. Thank you so much for explaining all of this for us. Thank you. That's all for us. You can check out any of the links or events or hotline numbers that we mentioned in the show on our website or on Twitter. Stay free, Bay Ridge. <laughs>